This is the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz, and this is the show where I bring to life the true failures, the true successes, and the true learnings from recruiters and recruitment business owners globally. This podcast is now sponsored and supported by Hunted. Hunted is one of the best places on the internet for recruitment content. Of course, one of the reasons why I decided to partner with them is crucially, we share a common goal to help recruiters get better at their jobs. Hunted write about everything you can need in your career, from productivity hacks to helping your time management to TED Talks and reading lists. They offer in-depth insights into worldwide destinations and, of course, there's everyone's favorite recruitment wolf, Mr. Ed Hunter, who's not quite as scary in real life, but that is a story for another time. If you haven't yet checked out Hunted's content, you will not be disappointed. This is the Recruitment Rollercoaster podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today I'm in sunny Birmingham. I'm joined by uh, Matt Collingwood, uh, who is um, the MD of VQ Recruitment and also one of the founders of the Recruitment Canaries. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming to Birmingham. Yes, uh, this, so I only came to Birmingham for the first time like six weeks ago. I really liked it. You've been missing out, mate. Really <laughs> are, you, are you born and bred in Birmingham? Can you tell by the accent? It's not as strong. <laughs> I thought it'd be a bit stronger. No, you've, you've probably been hanging around the black country too long. Eh? So <laughs> watching too much Peaky Blinders. Yeah, true. Fair enough. Um, cool. So look, as, as I was saying, Matt, before we, before we started this, where, where I always like to start is how did Matt Collingwood get into the, the world of recruitment. Talk to me about that. Okay. I would love to have an exciting story about it. Yeah. But I think like most people, I stumbled into it. Okay. So I I left school at 18, at college at 18. Okay. Uh, with A-levels. And I think it was a time in coming from a family that um, the university was something doctors and engineers would do. Mm. Um, so me and a pal, when I was 18, launched our own little business. Really? Yeah. So we were working at a garden centre. It doesn't sound particularly exciting, but we used to get like um, wealthy families that would come in and they'd buy these fish tanks and ponds yeah. and being entrepreneurial 18 year olds me and my pal would go to um, go to the houses and install fish tanks and we'd do maintenance contracts so a little bit like contract recruitment today with that recurring revenue mm. um, but I got to about kind of 2021 thought this isn't a career that I want forever I wanted to earn kind of big bucks and um, registered with a, a recruitment agency uh, a guy called Gavin Chalmers, interesting, 22 years on, I'm still in contact with the guy. Really? Yeah, he's brilliant. So um, I went along to uh, to an interview with a business called Computer People, market leaders back back in the day, um, just simply for, for interview practice. And um, probably in about half an hour, I decided that recruitment was a career that I definitely wanted to go down. Really? And it, yeah, I've just blown away. I love the idea of, unlike selling a product where yeah, the, 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 the customer... 
uh, makes a decision and the product's never going to be different. I love the mm. idea of recruitment where two different minds, perhaps sometimes on a completely different page, and you've got to convince these guys mm. where they're both right for each other. So just just a quick one before we go into the whole recruitment piece. I'd love to just, like, how how easy was it? Like, what, what I'm interested in is when you decided to start that business when you was 18, mm-hmm. like, how many people around you was starting businesses? Do you get what I mean? Because I think, into the, like, me growing up, it's become cooler to become an entrepreneur and these types of things and obviously the people that you have access to and how well we're connected now. Like we're, I'll just, I'll just curious that. That just made me a bit curious that like how, because how much information do you have access to to try and make that a success? Do you get what I mean? We totally winged it. That's we what I mean. We hadn't got a clue what we're doing. I mean, what we, we knew, our, we knew having worked in this garden centre for years, we knew all about looking after the fish and getting yeah. the nitrate balances right and the pH, all the rest of it. But running a business, we hadn't got a clue. We just happened to be pretty good at what we did and the business just came in. But whereas a lot of my pals were either working in a kind of production line, the Land Rover, massive yeah. employer locally, or uh, had gone off to, to university. Me and my, my, my pal were earning really good bucks, or what seemed like good money back then, mm. being our own bosses and... We were the ones that were rocking up at the bars, head to toe in Versace, which was the, the brand back then. And I went and bought a, a Porsche 924 Turbo for my 19th birthday. So really? it was a bit of an older car, but it didn't cost me that much at the time. But it was a bit of status thing then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, again, totally different then. When, in, like the, the, um, if I, so back then, I'm, I'm assuming, from what I understand, if you had that type of car or, or a decent car, like you had, there's no like getting out on finance or leasing it i'm assuming back then we bought it cash we bought it that's what i mean (laughs) (laughs) so like typically if again it was it was a status thing that if you have if you had a decent car that typically meant oh matt's doing all right yeah whereas now if you want to spend 400 quid a month of your salary Mm. on getting the latest car you can do that do you know what i mean which is interesting but um just i was just interested in that so do you think that so where did that come from that entrepreneurial spirit was it did that was that just natural to go into that because i'm sure that's helped you throughout your career um, in recruitment and obviously now now starting your own recruitment having your own recruitment business as well i don't i don't necessarily come from a family where anyone's ran their own businesses or anything like that they've mm. all had good long-term jobs um but always growing up i aspired to to do well i always wanted to travel um I wanted a big house i know they're quite a lot of material things but mm. they're things that in order to to achieve I, I either needed to work hard or yeah. be creative in terms of what I what I do. And my aspirations for years were to to set up and, and run my own business. Mm. Um, I was probably a little bit late in, in setting up, so probably still got a little bit of catching up to do. <laughs> okay, so joined. Um, so they are they were part of a deco at that point, or how did that work? No, so we going back. So I joined Computer People in 1997. Okay, um, and they were bought by a deco in '99, who were oh, okay. yeah, probably deco, one of the largest recruitment businesses in the world. So a lot of their growth over the years has typically been done through acquisition. Through acquisitions, okay. And what? And then from what market did you go into? Have you always been in the same similar sort of market where you are now, or? Always IT. Really? Always IT. So I've kind of flirted over the years with looking at other markets, but I know IT really well. If there ever comes a day where VQ have got like a 90% share of IT recruitment in the UK, then it'd be time to look at someone else. But, <laughs> you know, we've got 0.01 or whatever it is. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I just think we can boss IT incredibly well for looking at the markets. The beauty of IT is we're only becoming more and more 
IT savvy. We're driven mm. more by apps on mobile phones. I can't imagine anytime soon that IT is going to be slowing down or no, no be a, a datey thing. Mm, okay. And then just to, um, I'm really keen to get onto the sort of journey and the things that you've learned um, having your own recruitment business. But so you worked for for that business for 17 years. I saw on your LinkedIn. Yeah, that's right. Correct, yeah. And what what was just help frame it up for people listening? Was it the typical route of joining as a consultant, then you become a manager at some point, and then you become a director, or was that the the route that you followed, or what was the pretty much pretty much? So I started as um I started a re- as a resourcer. Okay. I I joined. Um, I was hired by a guy called Adam Fletcher. Okay. You, you might know the name. Um, he's in the M and A space. He just his career was just transitioning through from being in sales through to a management role. So it was the perfect opportunity for me to start as a resource under a guy that was fast-tracking his career, clearly mm. a very good recruiter at the time, um, and he was going off the tool. So I had the opportunity to resource into some, some great accounts. And I kind of look back at that first year of, of resourcing, having a, you know, working good quality accounts and mm. you know, a, 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 a strong leader really enabled me, I think, enabled me to really fast-track my career. Really? Um, get on the tools very quickly, lots of exposure to different types of tech and, you know, somebody was well-respected, so I was able to, I was taken out a lot to, to client meetings and, and got a lot of FaceTime. So was he a bit of uh, quite a good mentor to you then early on? Uh, obviously, you might hear this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, really good, really good starting out. A tyrant sometimes, mm. really, really high standards, a kind of management style that might not exist these days yeah, or yeah, might yeah, not yeah. Be, be, uh, be as accepted but you know kind of back in the day it was great and um, it certainly worked for me and was it easy for you at that point was you re- was the mindset towards that just to be a sponge and really soak up everything that's going around totally. you? You, yeah because yeah. not everyone it's, that's not easy to do all the time is it no, that's no. N- so I um uh, and more and more uh, recruiters coming into the market, I'll talk to them and, and often they want to do it their way. Yeah. Um, there's even some, some that think they know better, which is fine. Um, I kind of look back at when I started my career and I looked around the office at those mm. that were doing well. You could see from the boards who was performing and I would listen to what they were doing well. I'd listen mm. to styles. I'd go and ask them questions. I'd ask specifically for training. So I think a sponge would be a great analogy for, for that. Mm. And I've got to be honest, throughout my career, and we're 20, I'm 22 years into the industry now, I've always surrounded myself with people that I can learn from. It's amazing. And you've consciously done that. Totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's such good advice because it's tip, one of the most common things that I get to ask people that come on the show is, Hisham, I've, I've hit a bit of a plateau or I'm at the 150K mark, I want to get to the, break the 200K mark, I'm at the 250K mark, I want to break the 300K mark, etc. <clears throat> and a lot of the time, the advice does come down to that is like, okay, well, firstly, who within your business is doing more than you are that you can learn from? And, and again, are you being proactive and saying, look, Matt, like I'm really impressed with what you're doing or whatever like how how are you doing that and, and that should be proactive within your business exactly. it's sound advice isn't it but it's quite easily not done totally I yeah. think the, the, the question I'd ask is anyone who's sitting in the office who do they look up to and respect in that office who are they learning from and if the answer is no one then they need to find someone now that mm. individual could be externally to the business or mm. if they're just not getting it at all the only way they're going to advance is, is to go externally yeah okay what I'd love to just for you to share because we talk, spoke about it very briefly and we've got the uh very retro kit behind us for those that can't see us say 
What, how old, what year is that, that? So this is a Macintosh SE30 from 1989. <laughs> 1989? Yeah. yeah. I didn't even know, and that's a Motorola. Motorola, yeah. Brick phone, I think they're Brick called. phone, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what I would love just to share, because if I think of the people that I've had on this podcast over the last 10, 15 episodes, um, probably definitely haven't been in the game as, as long as you have. So I'd love, like, what was recruitment like when in those sort of first 1997 to 2000 or whatever what was actually because you're saying you was faxing cvs and all these types of things and like that is just mental to me and sort of the experience yeah. i had do you know what i mean what, what was it actually like back then and yeah it was um <clears throat> it's obviously a very different world um <laughs> i, I kind of got in just the right time because i think it was over a 12-month period where the industry took a massive change and you know obviously it's continued to change mm. since that time but we had no email Mm. Um, we had no website in 97. So if a candidate wanted to send their CV in, it's either done by post, which would oh, take two or three days to come in. You'd have to persuade them to come in and drop it in face-to-face -face, or they'd fax it in. I don't know if you remember what quality of faxes looked like no. back in the day, but they were dreadful. I mean, sometimes you couldn't even read the text when they come really? in for fax. And obviously the way you get them in front of your customer was to fax them again. And after something's been faxed a few times, it, it starts mm. to lose a bit of the quality. Very few people had mobile phones. The way we'd reach candidates was um, pages was one way. Um, we would uh, we'd often call people at their home numbers. Really? If they didn't have mobiles. We'd expect the partner to answer it. You'd hope and pray the partner would answer the phone. Um, and let's say, for example, it was the wife that answered. Yeah. You'd be telling her what a great job we had for her <laughs> fella and you'd be spending more time with the kids and Crazy. earning a lot more money. And then the first thing she'd make him do when he got home was to call up the recruitment agency yeah. because we were reliant on those guys calling us back. And obviously we don't live in that. We didn't live in that kind of mobile um, world that we do today. We'd be in the office most evenings till eight o'clock waiting really? for the phone to ring yeah. and for, and for candidates to call us. So in your time in recruitment, then talking about that, what, what, what was the, like, the biggest change? Would you say? Like what had the big, obviously I know it's always changing these types of things, but you talking about it there then, what had the, was, was internet the biggest, Im, like what had the biggest impact on the change of the market and how you approach things? There's, there's a few things that have changed and I think it's changing for the better and for the worse at the same time. So if we yeah. take the internet and we take email, yeah. email's fantastic. Candidate can get me their CV in a matter of seconds. I can yeah. get on a client's desktop in seconds. So that's sped the whole process up, mm. which is great. You know, time kills deals and all yeah. the rest of it. But I think, to the detriment of actually picking up the phone. Mm. So again, too many recruiters these days rely very heavily on emails, LinkedIn messages, all mm. the rest of it. I'm a massive advocate of picking up the phone and, and calling your customers. And like I say, back in the day, if we had a really good CV, we'd jump in the car and drive and see the client, <laughs> grab the client, say, these are the CV, these are mm. the candidates that you need to interview. Um, and I, I just think that th that, that technology has helped us massively, but to the detriment of sometimes that personal touch. Mm, I think, I think for me, it's, so I'm, I'm, I would like live and breathe on LinkedIn mm -hmm. and I, I now help recruiters get more out of LinkedIn. Um, and for me, it, it has to be both for me. Totally. Like, like it's, it just has to be both. And that, that's something that's really big for me. Um, and I think now it's even got that far that what you're just talking about there, where I think, for me, I think the people that can be really proactive and are great at building relationships on the phone and these types of things are now going to have even more of a competitive advantage. It's all going to go back on itself, if you get what I mean, because there's so many people out there that do just 
hide behind emails and just send loads of messages each day, et cetera, et cetera, which means there's probably less people now actually being really proactive on the phone and, and building those relationships that they need to. So I think, I think there's going to be a, a real, uh, there's such a good opportunity for people if they can get the online piece right and then that, that drives sales conversations, then great. But also if you're someone that is, like you are saying there, pick up the phone, be proactive, you can still, that's still really fruitful work. Do you know what I mean? I, I think it's somebody like me that's been in the game for 22 years, which was you know coming at a time where there was no social media, yeah. no emails, and I can adopt and work to that standard. Then, you know, I'd like to think that those coming into it or have perhaps only even known that world can pick the phone a little bit more, yeah. you know, go out and see more of their customers and develop those personal relationships mm. on top of top of social media. So have you? So you did. You did mention. So when you got into this world of recruitment. Did you always, did you then really feel like that w this was going to be the vehicle for you to start your own business? I know obviously you previously started your own business and yeah. bought nice cars and all that, but. I kind of always said that uh, you know, I, I spent 17 years with one business, which is a hell of a long time. What they were really good at is getting the golden handcuffs on you. Mm. You know, once, you know, um, it was difficult to, 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 to get away from that. But I'd always said that if I was going to leave, it was to either set up on my own or to move out the industry completely and do something else. Yeah. I never found something else that really got my interest as much mm. as what recruitment did. And without me standing in an arrogant way, something I did and did very well. Exactly. So, so why not stick at it? Um, it was just, it come at the right time five years ago, launching VQ. Mm. Um, not only in a financial position, but also, you know, emotionally with it and the only and I certainly wouldn't call it regret regret that probably the only thing I wish that I'd done is probably just done it five years earlier really because I was ready to yeah a little bit of risk and it, I'm kind of one of the things I, I do with a with a business coach is look at where my strengths and areas of improvement are mm. and the one the one thing that, that you know some might say would have held me back is just being risk averse really so yeah so I'm kind of aware of that now and in some some occasions it can be a great help in others uh, it, it has a, a detrimental effect. So I'm kind of getting that balance right. Because mm. one thing I just wanted to ask, I know you mentioned it there that they, well, yeah, you said that the golden handcuffs there, but what do you think they did really well? Because like, how many people do you see now that have, have worked for one business in recruitment for 17 years? Not, very, not many. very few. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I guess how, how do you think they, what, what do you think they did really well, which we which probably p businesses or people can think of that, that can use themselves to, to retain people in that business you know what I mean what do you think are some of the things that they did really well to to keep Matt in that business I don't know whether it was the business that kept me or I kept the business I, really? I don't know yeah so I mean don't get me wrong great, great company to work sure, for sure. you know great career um company's biggest biller in its, in its history you know they they kind of you know there was a time that, that sort of time where I get wheeled out to to meet a lot of the trainees as the example mm. of of what can be done but you know, I kind of think that um, was it necessarily the business that kept me there? I well, think it was yeah. me kept myself there with a high salary and the thought of, you know, I'd kind of started buying properties yeah. and it's a thought of being able to service the loans on those. And, yeah. you know, it's a few holidays a year and the nice mm. cars and a certain lifestyle and looking after family or whatever. And um, it, it was just being able to step away from that. That makes sense. Obviously, it's very quickly, the responsibilities can stack up, can't they? Compared to five years ago, what you had to think about, what you had to pay, who you had to support, etc. That that yeah, can quickly totally. change, can't it? Yeah. So you mentioned that I was. Um, <clears throat> so you was you was one of the higher performers in that that group or that. that yeah. So I, I was um, I was computer people's biggest biller in his really? history. So I did one point four five million in my best year. Whoa. GP. That's mental. Which was great. Yeah, it was good. Is that perma contract? That's contract. 
Okay. So I, there are exa- I hear some examples of guys at S3 that have done kind of similar sort of figures and stuff. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, was, I, was, I think a, a good recruit for me can do about half a million quid, 700, something like that. In good, today's market. A good, a good contract biller. Mm. And so is like. that is that your bread and butter contract rather than yeah? So we're we're ninety percent as a contract. we're ninety percent GP as a business. Okay, just we didn't set out to do that. By the way, mm. it's just that I think we do. So my co-director, a guy called Mike, we're co- we're contract together. Yeah, been, yeah. You know, he's been doing it there for what fourteen years. So I think if you set up a business with some guys that are really good at contract, then you naturally mm. go a good contract business. Just on that point, that's big, mate. Thank you. So that I mean that that's a great achievement. And what year was that in? Uh, 2003. Okay. Just, I'm sure there's loads that went into it. And, and then we'll, we'll sort of dive into the sort of VQ gen and these things. But I have, I have to ask you, like, what... How, let's break that down a bit. Like, what that year... I'm sure there's a lot of things that contributed to it. But how the hell did you get to that point? And what are some of the key things that you think really enabled you to achieve that? Because that, that's... I mean, there's not going to be many people doing that now, as, as you said, and I think there's definitely going to be some key learnings there that probably become habitual to you. But what were some of the key things you think that enabled you to do that? Okay, so um, I'd always I'd always build relatively well. So okay. as a contract builder, I'd always do between like four and six hundred grand a year, yeah, which was good. And uh, it's going to sound a little bit random, but I remember sitting down with my director at the time, a guy called Nick and saying to him, I really want to build big. That was yeah. the phrase that come out. Yeah, I yeah, wanted yeah. to build big. And his response back was, okay, so you need to be contract book. I was like, yes. And it sounds the most simple conversation at the time, but he said, who has the most contractors? And I said, well, it would be the likes of HP, EDS, Jetronics at the time, which was the big kind of high volume infrastructure guys. Firms were doing lots of... Uh, infrastructure refreshes. There was a most beginning of companies to move to the cloud, etc. More okay. of a virtual environment. As simple as it sounded, it was just targeting those sorts of businesses. And what I did was mapped out who the key companies were, then mapped out who the head of professional services were within those companies, and started reaching out. And the model was pretty simple. What I'd have is teams of server network cloud guys where there was a project manager, there was architects in there, there was the engineers. And pretty much as one project was scaling down with one business, I'd literally pick up a whole team and drop them into another client. So it was a ready-made team. Mm. The, the individuals knew each other. It was a great sell that no other recruiters do when they're talking about just simply going in with ones and twos. Ones and twos, yeah. Yeah. So that was the kind of solution. It was identifying the customers with the volume mm. and actually having quite, and it was a USP back then. There was no one else that was offering the, the, the kind of big product, uh, big project teams like that. Um, I had a plan internally, which was to build my own infrastructure of people that could support me. And that was always done through resources. So whereas I do most of the client-facing stuff, mm. um, I had resources that would do a lot of the, the candidate the engagement, yeah, yeah, which is great, which really worked really well. So two, but I usually have between about two and, four, two and four resources. And then as they do well on resourcing, I was able to move those through to consultancy roles mm. um, as well. So give them really great footing, just like I shared with the, the opportunity I had to that be a good had, resource. Yeah, so yeah th- these guys had exactly the same. And I said the only other thing, and it might be a bit of a boring response to you, I've always had a high work ethic. Yeah. So, you know, I was It's really a, important to point that out, though. I t- tell you, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people want to succeed and they want to do the right things, but, you know, the nature of having to get high results sometimes results in high work ethic in mm. order to do that. So I, 
you know, I'd work often work Saturdays and Sundays um, and, uh, and weekends. In fact, one of the accounts I've been chipping away at for about two years. Yeah. Um, I got a call about 4.30 on a Friday evening from him to say that um, his customer at ABN Amro wanted 22 desktop guys just to do a, a patchwork down at Bishopsgate. And um, I said, he said he was going to speak to some agents. He says, leave with me. I absolutely commit that these guys will be there on Monday morning yeah. when he needed them. I worked my whole weekend. And uh, he phoned me up on a Monday morning and he said, Matt, I asked for 22 engineers. And I thought it's been a disaster. None of them have turned up. He said, 24 of them have turned up. And uh, basically what I'd done is I'd factored in two more. I thought two guys are going to drop out. And he said, I didn't think you'd be able to get more than 22, but mm. we could do with some more. But the message there was, it was just, it was around work grafting that whole weekend. And this project that these guys were doing, this patchwork was just one week. We made very, very little money. But what it did was it sent the right message out to the customer that we were committed and we yeah, were able to deliver. And we, we went from a, a business that gave us no work at all to one that then worked with us on an exclusive basis. Yeah, so I think, um, and, and do you think that sort of, do you think that still stands now? And what, what I mean by that, you mentioned there before you went into it, a good contract bill come out 500, 700K or a bill that like, do you think that advice or that approach would still stand now in terms of actually take a step back for a minute and look at the accounts that you do have, who in your market are the big players and, and can offer that, that big project work? Do you get what I mean? Do you think that's still sound advice? I can, it completely is. I mean, the, the message is even before hitting the big businesses is just to have a plan. Mm. So I think the market's changed a little bit from the early 2000s. Sure. That a lot of those companies now do single-digit margins, whereas my started with a two back mm. then and a lot of them have done internal recruitment but I think what sits before that is just to have a plan have a plan and that yeah. plan could be uh, and this is where the, the market is today and it's not going to change is just go specialist mm. so go an inch wide and a mile deep into a specialization so find something that's niche and just boss that boss that market mm. know all your contractors within that space mm. meet with them talk to them on a regular basis they'll tell you who's moving and, and, uh, and clients that have got projects within that space mm. and just stay, um, just stay loyal to that, to that market and it'll come. Interesting. So how many people did you start VQ with? So there was five of us on day one. Yeah. Um, we have, um, we've grown There's 20 of us now. 20 of you now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I, I had this conversation quite recently we're uh, a lot of recruitment owners I talk to the when you, they talk about their business the first thing they talk about is the size of their business headcount. and that, yeah, yeah exactly, what we're yeah. talking about yeah yeah exactly and I think a headcount for me is vanity mm. um, whereas you know the bottom line is is sanity so from the the 20 people we've got in the business at the moment we've got an average 200k per year net fee income yeah um, in five years of trading, we've only lost one person. We only had one person leave EQ and go and work for the competition. Okay, interesting. Um, so we're able to, to hold and, 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 you know, these people want to work for us. So we must be doing something right. But we've got no, we haven't got aspirations to be a, a 50, 100 FTE business. Mm. For us, it's just about finding the right people and, and uh, having those continue working for us. No, I, I think that's a really valid point. I think in, in a world of, obviously, the, the type of... Uh, industry it is and what it's renowned for the money you can make and the nice things you can buy and stuff i think what what you're putting out there is 
okay, headcount is is a is a number that we should be looking at. However, it shouldn't be the the, the core metric that we should be thinking about. It's it's the things that you just highlighted there: the net fee income, how many people have you retained, and these types of things. And I think that that should should be what people should be thinking about. Do you get what I mean? Rather than let, let's get five more people in, get them billing hundred k, that's five hundred k onto the business. Do you get what I mean? Or we might lose two people, so then we need that that type of approach. That's really interesting. So, have you always when you when you started the business then? Um, how how was it? Did how did you have to deal with any like covenants or anything like that, or did you wait a, a, a decent amount of period before you could crack on with that? Like, was there any challenges with that? With that, or was it okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you not talk about that. Yeah. So it's probably not best that I go into too much, too much detail. So the the firm that I work work for weren't particularly happy. Okay, um, fair enough. Although just to be clear, I did I had done nothing wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um. So there was no claim, no fair case, enough. or anything like that. Did you have a business plan? I had a business plan. And all of you guys had that, or was it more your doing with that or so i i was responsible for a lot more of the strategy and the guys okay. and i helped helped implement that uh, that strategy okay and then so i guess you said there that you never had the aspirations to be big big a big 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 agency has that always remained then or have you sort of had to has that changed the massive change so if yeah. you've asked me about a year and a half ago um where do i want to be i'd have said 50 50 people 60 mm. people or the rest of it it's just purely around numbers the early part of last year, we went on a big campaign, hire a lot of people in, um, and we got up to 28 people. Okay. Um, and obviously, as I say, we're down to 20, so some didn't work out. Um, I see that as a personal failure. Mm. So um, the individuals didn't necessarily deliver to the extent that the business needed to, and they're no longer with us. But, you know, any, any people don't work out, it's, it's my fault because I choose to hire those people. I'm responsible for, for training them up. It's very easy. I, I hear so many managers, if staff don't work out to say, well, that person was an idiot or something like that. Well, I was going to say that. Have you always had yeah, that mindset? 100%. 100%. It was, I remember back in the day, big corporate world, board meetings, they'd go around the room and everyone would be slating their staff. Point fingers, yeah. Totally. And it's like, well, the only idiot is the person who hires them and, mm. and, and, and keeps them. So I think that's such good advice to really live and breathe that if you have your own recruitment business. Like anyone that you hire that doesn't work out, it's your fault. No one else's. I, th I think that's really it. So what did you learn through that period then? In terms of? In terms of, you, as you said, you wanted 50, 60 heads, got to 28, well, now at 20. What, what were the key learning? Because there'll be a lot of people listening that want to start their recruitment business or have started it and are thinking, I want to grow this. I want to get it to 15, 20, 30 heads or whatever. What were some of the key learnings? I think there's, there, was a, there was a lot of learning, learning points out of that, to be honest with you. Um, I think the key bit too is just hire the right people. Slow to hire, quick to fire. It's a, it's a well-used phrase, but mm. um, it, it's, it, should, it should be the standard for most businesses. So one of the things we've implemented over the last 12 months is we now do psychometric testing for all our mm. recruiters that come into the business. And it is fantastic. Um, what this product does is the, a candidate, one of our you know, potential recruiters for us, sits down and completes this assessment. It'll take about 45 minutes an hour, but he feeds back on what their strength scenario of improvement is. Now, it doesn't tell you whether you should go and hire this person. Of course. But what it will do is it will, where the areas of improvement are, it provides some questions to ask. Oh. Um, and they're, you know, they're really good open, base, uh, open questions. And when I've used those questions... The, it's gone one of two ways. Either the candidate has been able to explain those very well and they've been given a chance and those people have come good. Or you can see them really struggling with the answers. And it's at that point, it's the answers to the questions 
uh, made my mind up in terms of what our decision-making process is about moving forward. That's really interesting. And have you done that psychometric test on the people in your business now? We have, actually. Yeah. You have? I've done it on myself as well, which is great, yeah. Obviously, that's I a good, yeah. good exercise, though, because then that gives you some real data. Or Was there any common themes that you noticed? It's 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 totally different for really? different people, yeah. It is completely different because there's certain strengths and weaknesses mm. that will identify. Um, but there isn't, it, there, isn't, there isn't a standard blueprint. Yeah, because I think... Can't, I, th- I think this came up once before and when they did it on the people in their business, there was like one or two sort of things that were quite common that came out of it. So then that obviously it's a, it's a, it gives you, actually quits you some real data that actually the, all these people in our business um, are hitting the mark around this. That's probably something that we should be looking out for yeah. in, in new hires. Um, okay, that's interesting. So I guess that's that's an interesting sort of failure that you've learned through and then that's made you sort of reflect on well actually what what are our goals here and i guess as you as you were saying before it's enabled you to actually be in a position where you're actually getting more out of the people in your four walls and in your business rather than thinking about how many more people can we add to the headcount do you get what i mean totally so what, what are some of the things that you've done to to get more out of your people has it been very much the learning the learning development piece and investing heavily in that or how have you gone about maximizing the actual people within your business? Do you get what I mean? Yeah, I think, you know, if, if I look back at my career, I didn't wake up in the morning and think I've got to make my employer a lot of money. Never <laughs> ran that, yeah? I don't, think, any, I don't, think, I don't think anyone does, yeah? So it's I've always had a plan of something I want to achieve in my life. There's a reason, there's something that's driving me to get out of bed, whether I'm working for someone or now whilst I'm working for myself. And one of the things I've always done with the guys is just understand what makes them tick, what gets them out of bed. So you know, it could be one of the guys is getting married end of December this year. And one of the key things for him is when he joined, he had an idea of what wedding A would look like. Mm. And actually, if he had, if he achieved certain goals and um, a certain, you know, his, his kind of growth plans, what wedding B would look like. Yeah. Um, he's well on track to, to have the, the dream wedding, um, which is great. It's, it's kind of just focusing in. So it's not coming into work to hit a target or mm. to make the employer happy, but actually what are they, what are they coming that. to? Yeah, totally. And how, how do you, how can people start digging, if they don't know that? So if, if Matt's in my team right now and I don't know what makes them tick, how can I start approaching that conversation? Do you get what I mean? You just need to see, they probably just need to sit and get close to their people. Mm. So whether it can be done through a, a regular review or just sitting your staff down over a beer and understanding mm. what, what kind of makes them tick. But I think any manager who's focused on purely what the business wants and what the business needs to get is, is coming from completely the wrong angle. Yeah, no. Look at what, you know, look at what the, 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 the staff member wants. Mm. What does the, the colleague want to get out of it? I think it's, it's, it's come up a few times this, because I think look, you can, you can um, drill that person with, you need to be doing this amount of activities to get this, da da da. But it's come up a few times where actually, when once you know when this certain person really wants to provide, have a wedding of his dreams and these types of things, when when things get tough, and you're having conversations on like what can we do to improve and these types of things, it's something that you can use to motivate these people. Very true. Do you get what I mean? So it's like, you know, you know, we had that conversation. You tell me that you want to achieve this wedding or you want to get that. How are, we, how are we going to do that? Or what, do you get what I mean? It's, it's also something that you can also, from what people have said and shared, that it's also really useful to understand how to motivate their team as well. That's bigger than, look, we agreed that these were the KPIs and you haven't hit them. Do, do, do you know what I mean? It's, it's different. We, we don't do KPIs. <laughs> do you not? We don't even do targets. Target, so that's like overall, annual. Yeah, so the business has a target. Yeah. But in terms of 
um, the guys aren't given a target at all. So really? the way we base everything around a pledge. So I, you know, for, for me, for me, KPIs are amazing. I absolutely love KPI, but it's probably the worst management style to manage by KPI alone. Okay. Because what managers tend to do is they'll come in and beat people around the head for not doing something. Yeah. Um, so what we have is every, every, we have a huddle every morning. So the team sit down at, or in fact they stand at eight thirty, and everyone just talks what they're going to talk through what they're going to do that day. So I have this particular job. I need to cover it off, or I might need to focus around new business. And on a Monday morning, people pledge on what they're going to do. So I need to focus on new business. So I need to connect with thirty customers this week. I'm going to arrange a couple of meetings. So the guys are pledging, and they're dictating how they're going to run their week. Mm. And they all, they'll also pledge their activity. So I will increase my contract book by 500 quid or a grand mm. or something like that this month. So no one in the room can ever say that the targets were too high and there is no reason why anyone shouldn't deliver on what they've committed to doing. Mm. Obviously, if somebody's coming in, their whole plan for the week is get to get two sales calls and a CV out the door, then they're going to get challenged. Yeah, Rather yeah, than yeah. get challenged by the manager, they get challenged by their colleagues Mm. Um, so, why, why do you use that word pledge? That's an interesting word of choice. Yeah, I don't. We just it's commitment. It's commitment. Yeah, it's yeah. Pledge. It's no, not, I like it's, it. Yeah, it's it's been a, it's been the pledge board. Um, it's I just I, I think if you give someone a target, they're within their rights to push back and say you don't know my business well enough. Um, that target is unrealistic. Mm. But when people are pledging, committing to what they're going to do, there's no reason why they they shouldn't be able to deliver that. I like that. We found that it gets more results. Yeah. Because if it's it, well, again, it's coming back to oh, I'm not. This is bigger than just me doing this for Matt. Because it means that his business, it means he gets more net fee income. It's it's I'm pledging to do it because I'm I'm creating the the targets and the ambitions that I want for me. Do you know what I mean? That's interesting. So just to round that off, knowing what you know now, then what do you look for in a hire? What are the key sort of characteristics that you look for that you just don't like? If they don't have this, this, and this. I'm not interested because I've learned enough that it's, it's not gonna, it's probably, there's a very hard chance it's not going to work out what the key characteristics you look for. Do, do you know what? <laughs> it's, I think having done this for so long, I think it does make you a good judge of character. And I think a lot of the judgments outside of doing things like psychometric testing and CBI um, are probably done unconsciously. Okay. Um, which I know probably isn't an answer to, to what you're looking for, but the traits generally, and we look for this when we do our competency-based interviewing, it's just things like passion and energy. I want to hear people that are passionate about something in life. Yeah. If it's something outside of work, maybe the vi- the work that maybe VQ is just the vehicle yeah, yeah, to get yeah. them to what they want. Um, if they're passionate about recruitment or doing their job, happy days. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll look at things like previous sales experience mm. and how they've gone about doing that. So I've met some great salespeople, but actually they're great with the accounts that people have given them. Mm. And we're a new business company. We've got two contractors for every every client. Uh, obviously great opportunity there to land and expand across these customers but we've got such a big portfolio of customers because the guys are driving the levels of new business mm. so we need people who can go and secure that so again new business is an important trait that sales piece um, we look at people that are flexible one of the questions we might ask is give an example of when you worked outside your core hours <laughs> so you know, coming back to the point I mentioned about yeah. you know, working a weekend or evening now you mm. don't have to do that but I can guarantee there's a Matt Collingwood in another recruitment business that will be talking to your customer and will fill that if it's not being done. So if anything, it's that whole passion, energy, ability to sell. Um, The main main trait that we look for, and again, this is probably not one that I can necessarily quantify, is it's having 
individuals that fit into what is the VQ mold. We've got no ego upstairs. Yeah. There's no attitude. Individuals like that wouldn't wouldn't last five minutes. We've got a bunch of people that really gel well. Uh, they love, yeah, they get on really well with each other. They love the VQ trips that we do where we take them overseas and stuff. Whereas I don't think you'd have that level of enjoyment if you were just focused on individuals that can make money yeah. and didn't fit that, um, that, that kind of mold. And how long... Do you reckon it's taken you to understand what that VQ mold is? Again, I know it's quite intangible, but do you know what I mean? You know it. I don't think I'm there yet still. Really? I don't That's think I'm there yet. So it's always, always, always learning. Mm. But I, I did have a vision on day one in terms of what that looked like. Yeah, yeah. But it's um, evolved and will continue to evolve. Yeah, totally. I, 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 you know, I spend more time with the people in the office than I do with my family. It's just the nature of, of doing any sort of job. Yeah. So it's really important that, you know, those people like me, I like them and, you know, we can all get along. Mm. What I'd love to go into now is because you you were just touching on it then. So one of the another real um, <coughs> um, common thing that people ask me to speak to people about is is new business, mm-hmm. is business development. So I think what I'd love to sort of um, get your perspective on is so in in your business now, have you got some three hundred, four hundred, five hundred k contract billers? Yeah. Okay. Good. Then that's great in this market, right? What have you, so let, let's talk a bit about some of the common things that you see in these people that maybe some people listening that are on the sort of around the 200k mark or whatever as contract billers. What, what are the common things that you see in, in these people that are hitting those sort of numbers? So one of, the, one of the things I said very early on was about the lost skill of actually picking up the phone and yeah. meeting people. Mm-hmm. I think what wraps around that is just networking. Yeah. Networking is, it's a... It's a word that I think people use, but it's not necessarily a skill I, I see people demonstrating enough mm. of. So networking for me is when you talk to a candidate very early on, um, keeping in contact with that individual, um, actually following them on their journey, mm. working with them to understand who they know and how you can help them and they can help you in return. So if I look at a lot of our clients at the moment, a large percentage, and it's a good 40 plus percent have come off the back of referrals. So we either, we either have done an amazing job for a client, that client's gone elsewhere and introduced us to their, their new ink, um, or we've done a really good job by a candidate and they've landed somewhere else at a, as a senior appointment they've hired from us. So for me, the whole business, new business thing is, you could be a half a million quid biller in this industry by never making a cold call at all, yeah. by just showing a great level of engagement with every every candidate that you talk to. Really interesting point. I think what you're talking about there as well is surely these people that are achieving that in your business, um, there's a mindset piece there where, do you know what I mean? It'd be very easy for some people to speak to, to Matt, the candidate, that you can't help me right now, but I could potentially help you. Um, and it's very easy to not think about giving you a good experience because you could help me in a year's two years totally. time do you know what i mean yeah I think it's really an interesting point if the candidate if there's a candidate that sent their cv through was looking for work this is the time when they need your help so if you're not offering that help why should they help you later down the line when they no longer need your help mm. so it's just working with those guys now, i mean i i look at some of the the best relationships i've got with um, project managers, program managers, is where I've gone through the job boards through a job site or a job serve, and I've found jobs that are suitable for them through other recruitment agencies, and I've just pinged them that job to say, look, I saw this, thought yeah. of you. And the mindset is, well, why would you want to introduce that candidate to another recruitment agency? Well, when he lands, who's he going to come and work with? Mm. He or she, who are they going to come work with? 
Mm. So it's just that whole networking piece for me. Um, I think, you know, in addition to that kind of new business, a more mature approach to sales is uh, collaborative and partnered approaches to recruitment. So we okay. work with a lot of um, IT providers. Yeah. Um, now, a lot of these IT providers, all they want to do is sell um, hardware, software, and their consultancy services, which is often a relatively small part of IT. But they all have large network, and they have a large network of their own clients. One of the solutions that's worked really well for us is to work alongside these customers, alongside our customer, which is the the outsource business, go on meetings with them, strategize with them and their clients when it comes to recruitment. Um, obviously, that's not something that comes overnight. Mm. You need to work at that for you know, months, if not years. Yeah, yeah. But the beauty of that is you've got your clients doing your new business on your behalf. Mm. And it, again, it does stem from from what you've seen is is that networking piece. And again, having that, that mindset of okay, well, yeah, maybe this isn't going to beneficial me for you right now, but long-term, as you said, that person lands that job, then all of a sudden it could open up a big account and these types of things. Yeah, totally. So business development then, that seems like, as, so I was a perm recruiter. Yeah. From what I've learned, a contract recruiter, the BD piece, that's the like key. Totally. Like the client, yeah. do, do, do you know what I mean? So how, how effective is cold calling now? In your opinion. Uh, I still love cold calling. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I still love cold calling to a certain extent. Um, it's just when you get through to that individual to be able to do something very different. Yeah. And I, I think at the moment, uh, I see too many trainees coming in. They're just told to pick up the phone and ask people if they've got any jobs. And you can yeah. understand why cold calling isn't working for them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I cold call. Yeah. I still cold call as an MD and I, I still see results from it. So, but my conversations with the hiring manager, or the potential hiring managers, I guarantee are going to be very different to a lot of other calls they've, they've had previously. What do you tend to lead with then, if it's not jobs? Um, so we, when we first launched the business, we, we, you know, we try and grab wherever we could. We need yeah, hands yeah, and pens through the door. And we were getting more developer jobs than anything else. So okay. .NET, and I don't know if you know much about the .NET space, but you've got twice as many jobs. There's no, there's very, very few candidates yeah. out there in the marketplace. So we wanted a, a different kind of solution for this. And I was chatting with a, a pal of mine who's uh, an immigration barrister. And he said, why don't, you, why don't you hire from outside of the EU? And I'd seen like candidates from years from places like India, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um, and very long story short, we come up with a, a solution whereby we would source candidates from Vietnam, from yeah. Malaysia, from the Philippines, because there's a hotbed of some world-class developers out there that yeah. speak fluent English whose expectations from a salary point of view are, shall we say, more realistic to yeah, yeah, UK yeah. guys when they want to move. Um, and we put a, a product, we put a, went about putting a product in place to go into these customers to say, look, we know you're looking for 20, 30 developers locally. You're not going to find them. You're going to have to be reliant on compromising on your skill set or using costly contractors. Um, we've got the solution where we'll bring resourcing from overseas for you. Massive cost savings. We'll work with the home office to get the tier two um, visas for them. We do a full landing program. But in answer to your question about the, the new business sales calls, I'll call development managers, um, development directors, and talk about this solution, and yeah. not one of them have heard it. So I think the message is you haven't necessarily got to sell my product. It's, it's patented, <laughs> um, copyrighted, but it's, Point just, difference. It, it's going with something completely different. And when we, when we launched that solution, in order to, to make sure it worked properly, we needed a guinea pig. Mm. I couldn't really go to a client and say, look, we've got this wild idea. Mm -hmm. um, so VQ went through our own sponsorship. Um, we bought over a couple of developers that worked directly for us. 
um, okay. and they built a product for us called technicalassessment.co.uk, which is a development tool. So I can set a program in front of that tool and it'll tell me how good they are. Wow. Uh, as a full stack developer, it tests their front end, back end, yeah. database, etc. Because they're quite common to have on sometimes interview processes, aren't they? Totally. Technical, yeah, yeah. They, they, they are. They are. I think that um, some clients it'll be the standard across their business. Yeah. But we, the, my developers, built out this product, so we go into customers and we'll say, look, you could make this part of your recruitment process and for that we want to be a supplier and actually we want to get all your contract business exclusive but actually wouldn't it be really fun to start testing your own developers to see what their strengths and weaknesses are so we've got clients that are using this across their business now as their standard for any of their hiring just like i mentioned with the psychometric that we use um, and as part of their reviews with their own permanent developers That's so really interesting yeah. so again just coming back to uh, coming back to the the, the, the the new business approach, it is picking up the, the yeah. phone to these customers. And these solutions, neither might not be right, but you know what? The, the client will remember. Mm, no, I, I think that I think that's amazing, mate, that you come up with that solution. And I think as we were saying before we started this, it's how recruitment's changed and these types of things. I think, like, from what I understand the conversation I'm having, if you want to future-proof your recruitment business, it is solutions, like, you've got to really come bring to the table real solutions that's as you said some better than just ones and twos and oh well, yeah yeah matt we'll work with you and you've got you, you have one vacancy let me fill it and etc do you get what i mean so i think that's i think that's amazing um i'll tell you the good part of it as well you get to fly the customer <laughs> over really? to asia yeah i mean best you know you you're with your your customer for five days a week oh wow you're you're either interviewing during the day or at for a dinner on the evening or something like that but there's no better way to develop those relationships further mm. and also you get a suntan <laughs> <laughs> very nice so what I th I'm, I'm just conscious that a big thing for me with this podcast is really talking about the, the sort of really actually uncovering the sort of true failures learnings and these types of things so I guess what what I'd love you to talk a bit about is like what have when have you experienced some real tough times mate I think it'd be great to just touch on that some of the times that you really had to dig deep to push through if any like has there what comes to mind when there's been some real difficult times for you and, and this business that you've, you've really had to push through which there'll be a lot of people listening that have gone through even just as a biller that it, it can be really unforgiving this job do, do you know what i mean so what comes to mind when uh, i ask you that yeah I, it's actually it's always been it's always been manageable so is it? fair enough i and I, I, I will give you an example. So you know, most people think being self-employed means that you can lie in bed, roll in at 10, 11 o'clock. And some people, <laughs> some people can do that if they want to. Yeah. But in five years of trading, I've never been late. So I okay. lead by example, set the standard with the guys. There's never been a day I've got up and I've thought, I don't want to go in today. So there's been, da okay. there's been days I've gone home and said, I'm not going to go in tomorrow. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I think I'm really good at leaving the baggage mm. and then coming in the next day to fresh day and refocusing. Um, and if it's a case of getting out the plan and dusting it down and fixing it and stuff. But don't get me wrong, there are highs and lows. I mean, thankfully for us, the highs have been a, the highs have been a lot higher. Yeah. Um, but if I, you know, probably the biggest low point for me was the the way we launched this this business was to, we, there was five of us on day one. It was quite costly. It was quite a costly launch for us because we'd got all experienced recruiters. We didn't rent offices. We went and bought a building in central Birmingham. Um, just to kind of send the right statement out to the market. We spent a small fortune on, on websites, et cetera. But we funded the whole thing through debt. Okay. So we got a glorified overdraft from the bank. Yeah. 
um, put a personal guarantee against it, uh, which meant that if we didn't pay off the debt, then we were selling houses oh, wow. to, to make it happen. And so from day one of launching, in fact, day minus 30, we'd already spent a fortune on day one. We were just hemorrhaging cash. And for the first month, even the first year, we just did a massive loss mm. as a business. I remember looking into it after a year and thinking, what have I done here? Yeah. I own an obscene amount of money to the bank. Um, if I'm not able to make this work, I'm, I'm downsizing. Yeah. yeah, it's as simple as that. So that was a bit of a low, but that was just revisiting the reasons why I did it in the first place. Just injecting a bit of self-confidence that actually this is the lowest part we're going to go through and we're at the break-even point and everything else is then year two, just paying off the debt and motoring on. I think that I talk to a lot of people that maybe have been in the corporate world or working for another business and they want to become self-employed. They want to go and do their own thing. And what they see is businesses you know, on social media portraying yeah. themselves incredibly well and all the exciting stuff and trips for their people and getting involved in exciting things about branding exercises and CSR and all that kind of stuff. Often what they don't realize or they don't focus on is going through that journey of um, racking up a ton of debt or yeah. the disasters that go on. I and mean, when you lose, um, when you get a dropout very early on, it's dreadful. I mean, it's it, it can be, that's the sort of stuff that keeps you awake at night mm. to a certain extent. But a touch wood at the moment, we haven't had any disasters in the yeah. business. I think if we had a disaster today, I'd go home and I'd probably down a bottle of red or something <laughs> like that. But, but you become great at managing it. I think that's, I think that's fair enough. I think... So has, have you always been like that or like have you during this journey you, or you, have you just during your life experience you've just got because what you're talking about there really is, is perspective as well isn't it it's like okay I can leave look tomorrow's a new day etc I'll leave things once I leave this I'm with my family after but what have you done to become better at managing because not, not everyone is good at even from a biller to an owner of a business like what what things do you do if, if any to help so you I'm do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm 43 now. Yeah. So I had, a, I had a light bulb moment when I was 30. Okay. And I'll, I'll share this story with, with you. Um, it was my 30th birthday and a cup party. I can't remember who said it to me, but somebody said, the guy you are at 30 is the person you are for the rest of your life. Okay. I remember thinking, I don't want to be that same person. I want to <laughs> learn, evolve, and all the rest of it. And I mentioned this to about two or three other people, as in, actually, I didn't feel I'd arrived. I didn't, and I still don't now, and I hope I'm not, when I'm 63. Um, and there was a very good friend of mine, Steve, uh, said, have you considered business coaching? Okay. Now, for me, business coaching, my mindset was you go in and somebody tells you how to run a business and um, how to get the most out of your staff. And he referred me to uh, a guy called Richard Elwell, um, who's a business coach based up here in the Midlands. And I went, I used to go once a fortnight okay. to see this guy. And all we did for probably the first three months is we never talked business. We never, it was never about actually how do I use these NLP, like Jedi mind tricks. So was tricks. he your coach or you learned what he, he was teaching? He, he was my coach. Okay. And he, he basically taught me lots of stuff. But the first thing he did was rather than teach me stuff, he enabled me to learn about myself. Okay. So what my strengths and weaknesses are and you know the sort of stuff that what gets me out of bed. I know it sounds like a really deep conversation, but I think if you want to get the more out of other people and out of your business, you've got to understand how you get more out of yourself. Totally. Self-awareness. Exactly. So uh, one of the things we focused on very early was always having a plan. And I was quite an emotive guy that would love to have an argument, yeah. go toe-to-toe -to -toe with people, but 
actually it was just making decisions that were more pragmatic mm. and actually considering repercussions of the decisions yeah. that I made. So I think what I did back then at 30, and I think that was the catalyst that kind of pushed me on, um, has helped me today. And I'm by no means the finished article. Perfect, yeah, yeah, totally. And it's always about learning. So I think for... You've got to want to do it because when I was having sessions with Richard, I was waxing lyrical to everyone about how great it was, yeah. that everyone needs to do it. And a lot of my friends were going along to think, right, what is all this about? And some were getting a lot out of it, but equally it was a lot that just didn't get it. But want it for yourself as well. Exactly. I think you've got to want to change and you've got to, you want yeah. to kind of go through that journey. No, I thank you for sharing that. I, f I think that's great advice. I think how, so, so I, um, <laughs> a bit a bit a bit younger but i had a bit of a light bulb moment myself okay. and i was uh how was i like 23 and it, it was simple and it was simple as the best investment you can make is in yourself it sounds really simple but i didn't realize that <laughs> previously and um i think yeah all you're talking about there or part of what you're talking about is is self-awareness so when when um when times do get tough if that's you as a Biller, if that's you as um, a business owner, um, I think if you've really put a lot of work into knowing what gets you out of bed in the morning and, and know more about yourself, it's going to equip you with better tools so you can deal with different circumstances and challenging circumstances, um, which I really like. So <coughs> keen to um, speak to you about the canaries. Okay. Because I think it's evident your mindset, how you approach things um, is different to the typical... Um, recruitment business owner that people will probably have a perception of but what I just what, as I said before we started I was really keen just to get your thoughts on this and uh, even more so considering your sort of track record um, and it's, it's came up once or twice what do you you may do this in your business now but how have you gone about I know you said how you started your business and racked up debt and these types of things but have you always been quite smart with the money that you've earned in recruitment? I think what a chap, Tony, that I had on this podcast said sort of how many people were talking to big billers that are young people about how they can maximize the money they're earning and, and turn the money you're making into assets and not just all nice clothes and these types of things. Do you get what I mean? So I guess there'll be a lot of people listening that are earning a lot of money that maybe their their business or no one's speaking to them about financial advice and financial health do you get what i mean so what's what's your relationship been with money and how have you got better with it <laughs> okay so i think the, the important thing is enjoy yourself yeah yeah all, for yeah? sure so i kind of look back at my 20s and i traveled everywhere and i yeah. blew a ton of dough but yeah i don't i've got no regrets i actually enjoyed doing it kind of running alongside that i was pretty clever because okay. i'd always save and it's it, it, investing in bricks and mortar was always smart so um i i bought my first property at 23 and i had to save a deposit in order to do that yeah cut back and all the rest of it but i was focused on doing that um i then bought a few properties personally and then me and my best pal, business partner, we set up a property company yeah. uh, five years ago. Okay. Um, so it's only a relatively small business, but um, our, our, what we're doing is we're investing the profits from VQ um, into the property business. Um, so in the last few months, we, we bought a couple of million quid's worth of commercial properties and, and HMOs across the Midlands. And the plan is just to keep scaling that. Mm. I mean, the, the beauty of, of recruitment is 
you can even you know whether you're working as a business as a as a trainee or an MD uh, of a you know large established business, you can influence your earnings yeah. um, by all the stuff that we've spoken about today. So, I would suggest to anyone investing bricks and mortar because you're never going to lose out with with property long term. Yeah. Um, and I think if those that that do want to have a nice little nest egg, I think to strategically think about how you invest the profits from your business into into bricks and mortar, I think is a smart move. Okay. No, I, just, I think it's just an interesting point because if, yeah, I think when I was earning good money, not many, it's very easy, as you know, in today's day, day and age to get lost in looking the best and having all the latest things, you know what I mean? And I think recruitment, it can fast track your career, it can fast track your earnings. It can also get you in a in a bad spot if you're not if you're not thinking like that on and you have like a decent head on your shoulders. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Um, it's always been like that though, because everyone's always wanted to wear the designer gear or have yeah. a nice car and stuff like that. It's just the what is the cost of that and how important is it to to someone to own their own property? Mm. Um, so the recruitment canaries. Yeah. How long has that been going now for? Two years now. Two years. Yeah. And that's you and... Del, Del Shoker from Near People. And why did you start that? Um, so going back to the, the whole life in the corporate world, we had a, a HR function, a training function, a legal function. I had a peer group. I had a boss. Um, if I had a problem, there was always somebody that I could turn to. Or if I had a problem wasn't aware of it, there's always somebody that could come and tap me on the shoulder. Day one of launching, it can be quite lonely at the top. Yeah. And... One of the things you don't want to do is sit on the floor and say, we've got cash flow issues or we're having problems or this is a disaster or that's yeah. a disaster or I need help with this. It's sending out a good, strong message and, and leading from the front. So when I launched, one of the first things I did, and this is my whole thing about surrounding myself with people that yeah. are good and often better than me, um, is that I reached out to the local recruitment network. So in Birmingham, so people who own businesses, some that have been established for years and some that were perhaps going on the same journey as me, and I'd drop him an email. And he was a little bit random, uh, you know, this, this guy to say, look, fancy meeting up for a coffee, because yeah. recruitment has been for many years, and I'm not sure if it still is. You know, two recruitment companies bump into each other at a bar, and there's a little bit of attitude. It's like the for film sure. The Anchorman is now. I don't know <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There is an element to that about it, and recruitment shouldn't be like that. It doesn't yeah. need to be like it. So it started out with about five of us, and we weren't called the Canaries. We were just five guys that would share information. That were willing to, yeah, share experiences, challenges. Exactly, yeah. Okay. It, if, if I had had a really bad day, I'd pick up the phone, I'd rant at one of them, and they'd really? do the same. Or maybe we can, if we've had a particularly good month or week on sales, we can share that because there's no egos yeah. um, in the group. Um, if somebody was getting a particularly good deal on one of the job boards or something, we'd share what the best price is. Yeah. So we knew what we how we could negotiate and stuff. And... <clears throat> That kind of, we started getting, doing regular meetups. There was about five, six of us that met up. Then there's about 10 or 15. Then we come up with the name, the Canaries. Um, so the idea is we all flock together, we chirp, we talk and share yeah, information, yeah. yeah. Um, very random name, but <laughs> it's one that people seem to, seem to remember. And it's just kind of snowballed from there. So mm. we've got 50 members. It's all Birmingham base is a couple just outside of, of Birmingham but there's no subscription people don't have to pay to become members yeah. there's a code of conduct we expect them to to sign into and the first chapter of that is just around collaboration yeah um, you can't be in the group and just take you need to You've offer got to contribute up. yeah exactly it's yeah. a really good point and it's worked really well so 
we we've introduced i've given my whole list of all my clients to other canaries that are non-it uh so some of really? engineering it's like here are all my clients who do you want to get involved with and they do the same when we launched our southampton office there's a guy called matthew riley introduced us to his client he works he's got a business called osprey he introduced us to his um his client and we did our first placement in the first two weeks which really give those guys wow. some confidence down there um, from a financial perspective, we're probably, we're at least 100, 200 grand a year better off by being canaries, by sharing each other's customers and increasing buying power. Wendy Merricks, who's the CEO for Jumar, she estimates that it's generated her 300 grand plus, really? just simply in terms of cost savings. And it's so easy to think, like just straight away on the face of it, that you would be at a loss rather than a gain. Do you know what I mean? If you're going into a room full of 10, 15 recruitment businesses, maybe some competitors in there or whatever, that is the typical mindset. We've got IT recruitment businesses in there and we've had situations where we've had too much on. And rather than another recruitment agency fill that job because we wouldn't <laughs> be able to, we'd give it to other canaries mm. to say, look, this is something we need some support with. Help us, you get the deal. Don't Obviously, they won't yeah. talk to our customers going forward. But again, we win out of that. Yeah, no, I, I just think, I think that's such a great point to make that actually collaborating we can actually all gain from it and it doesn't come at the detriment of matt losing out a bit or whoever else losing out a bit actually we can all grow and and uh, achieve together do you know what i mean which i think is is part of the the mindset that's changing with particularly what i've experienced with the other networks out there and um that i've been to and like this podcast for example it wasn't it wasn't maybe back in your day it, it wasn't as easy for people just willing to share their challenges and openly talk about their failures and what they learned and their clients and these types of things so no i think that's great back then that's no, what i mean nobody would ever do that you you meet recruiters in a bar or out and about and you ask how they are everything's going well yeah, everything's classic. going fantastic yeah <laughs> flying smashing it the reality of it is they're not There'll yeah be yeah, yeah exactly so, you know share, share those problems that's the idea of the group our conferences have been great as well mm. so we're putting a few conferences we'll get speech matter experts in yeah you know we'll get 100 people in a room so Amazing. i don't know many recruitment groups that are able to uh, to do that how does this all plan out matt you've been in the game long enough what's that how does this all plan out like in what terms in in terms of things like we're just talking about here and how that like that wasn't around and, and now it is and people willing to share and people gaining 300k more worth of business because they're willing to collab collaborate to as we uh, as you as we've also spoke about that people are a bit susceptible now to hiding behind the emails and links and these types of things like you've been in the game long enough and 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 you're a very smart guy so i guess the future of recruitment obviously it's a big big thing to think about but how do you see it evolving and what do what do people need to be thinking about to remain future proof? Like, what are you doing, and what what are some of the things that you're thinking about long term? We've got a there's a lot happening at the moment um, with you know R35 coming into the private That'll sector be big, obviously next year, you know, isn't it? It's going to be massive, and we're expecting a lot a lot of disruption um, in that space. Ultimately, there's still going to be a lot of contractors that need work, and there's a lot of clients that need work done. It's just that somebody's going to land grab a lot of that that disruption and that movement. Mm. Um, so you, do so you see that more as an opportunity rather than that? It's a massive opportunity. Great. That's, yeah. that's the thing, isn't yeah, yeah. it? It's a massive. Again, I, I talk to you know, people out there in the wider wider market and they're panicking, the numbers are yeah. going to get decimated. Yeah, the, those workers are going to go somewhere and hopefully they're on our books. But, yeah. So in answer, to, in answer to your question, where's recruitment going? We're going to see, there's been more legislative changes like you know R35 than ever before. And I think we're just going to see more and more stuff happening like that. It's having a plan for it and being creative. Um, 
I, I'm confident that recruitment is going to go more specialist. So we've seen companies do more in-house. Mm. Um, that's only going to get bigger as mm. recruitment, recruitment agents go from agency in-house. So just be super niche, create a real value in terms of what you do. So for us, it's that inch wide, mile deep market. Mm. So if I'm competing, one of my guys is competing head to head with a generalist internal recruiter, we're always going to get the edge yeah, yeah. around that. So I think the whole solution-based sell, so things like statement of work, um, we have started uh, to hire as a separate part of the business, um, more techies in, more developers. So we're going to do more project-based work. So rather than the customer taking a contractor, yeah. we'll say we'll deliver that and we'll, we'll quote a deliverable for it. Yeah. So in answer to your question, I think it's been smart with legislative changes. Um, it's focused more on the solution. It's becoming more more specialist, to be mm. honest with you. I remember I remember 20-odd years ago, in fact, in fact, it was longer than that, when JobServe come in, everyone said, this is the death of recruitment. And then yeah. LinkedIn come in, it was, this is the death of recruitment. Recruitment is a much, much bigger beast now. There's 40,000 recruitment businesses in the UK, yeah, 7,000. So if anything, the industry is getting bigger. I don't necessarily think there's more good recruiters more in quality, the market. More quality, yeah. So it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of businesses out there, but they're generally manager owned by people that have left smaller businesses, you know, bigger recruitment companies, or or medium sized businesses. Mm. I don't think the market's flooded with lots of good recruiters at the moment. Before we finish, then I think that's mm-hmm. that's really I really like what you spoke about there. Before we finish, if I if I'm listening right now and I'm uh, um, I'm someone thinking about starting my own recruitment business, what should they be thinking about? Um. It's going to sound a little bit boring, but day minus 60 or 30, whenever you're looking to launch, get your infrastructures and your finances in order. Yeah. And by that, I mean, I found a great accountant very early on who's brilliant. I have total trust and confidence with her. We've got an FD that's been with us since day one to do the finance as well. We put a great infrastructure in place to find a, a CRM that worked for us. Yeah a good middle office product and a great back office product that I can get a dash. So it's putting all that infrastructure in place Mm. on day minus 30. Mm. So when the business launches and a lot of people perhaps be under contract so they can't actually trade before (laughs) day one, it's just on day one, just get your head down and do new business. Where I've seen organizations struggle or startups struggle or even fail for that matter is the business owner is getting involved in anything, anything but recruitment. Yeah. Um, if you're the MD of a director of a business and you're setting up with other staff at the time, play to people's strengths. Mm. Um, we've got five people and on day one for me, everyone was doing 360. What was evident very early on is people had different strengths. So I become a hundred percent new business. Yeah. Whereas a couple of the guys focused more on that delivery piece. That's amazing. He, he was just playing to, playing to strengths. Um, and I, the only other thing I'd say is I, I wrote a forecast um, for year one, year two, year three. What we delivered was nothing nothing like the forecast we were out by about 50 percent in year one <laughs> so wherever you think it's going to cost you add 50 percent to it yeah, yeah, yeah it's you know it's great if you over deliver and you over perform on your forecast then happy days but you need to be ready in the event that you don't do that no i think i think that's great advice mate so um look what are you excited about matt what's going on in the your world that you want to shout about <clears throat> Um, we have the VQ Christmas conference, oh, wow. which is taking place in two weeks time. So every year we take the guys away 
So year one, we were on a budget, so we did Dublin, which was a good laugh. <laughs> um, year two, we upped our game a little bit, and we took it to St. Petersburg okay. in Russia, which was beautiful for Christmas, although very cold. Year three, we took everyone to Dubai, which is brilliant. Yeah. Year four, Dubai. This year, they've got no idea where they're going. Really? So they're, uh, it's, well, they're, they've been told, we're going away for five days um, to pack enough clothes for that period. Wow. It's summer and beach, so it's 28 degrees where we're going at the moment, but they've got no idea where we're going. We are going to do a big reveal uh, on the, I think it's the 10th of yeah. December, where we're going to get the guys and let them know where they're that's going. Awesome. Yeah, which is good. So that's really big for us at the moment. That's our way of saying, look, we've had a great year. It's been our yeah, best yeah, year yeah. ever. Um, we really appreciate all the work the guys have done. The only bit I'm worried about is we're going to have to outperform ourselves next year as well because this year is going to be particularly good. Really? Mm-hmm. I think I, when I uh, worked in the recruitment business, those moments are so special, aren't they? Those five days away, get some real solid time with each other because it's, it's bloody tough, this job, in it? And I think the moments like that are great when you can create them with the business that you have. I think they're just so important. To, to have that and enable people to build some real solid relationships and get to know people that they work with. <laughs> totally. I mean, <laughs> I've, so over the years, I've hired people that have never been to London, let alone been yeah. to Europe or other parts of the world. So to get those kind of life experiences as well, to travel and just experiences working, spending, yeah. sorry, not working, spending quality time with your, your colleagues is pretty important. So um, so the, the final question I have for you, uh, Matt, is um, I ask it to everyone. You can answer it with like a phrase um, or a word, whatever comes to mind. So if you could communicate to um, all the recruiters out there, business owners, and they take on Matt's advice, they'd implement it tomorrow, what would you say? What comes to mind if they were to to listen to Matt and you could communicate to those 40,000 recruitment businesses, mate? What what comes to mind? Um, We're hiring. I, I, I meet a lot of people that come into recruitment and they don't know why they want to be in the industry. Mm. There's a lot of people that just want a job to get out of work. Um, I think for the managers, it's just making the right hires in the first place to understand why those people are going to be there mm. and what they want to get out of it. Um, like I said, I've always had a plan. There's always something that's driving and pushing me on, whereas the, the business is a vehicle to get to what I want. Mm. Um, so there is a massive opportunity for any trainee coming into the business. Just be clear what they want to get out of it yeah. and you know, set your goals high. If you're 21 at a university and you, you're just starting out a career in recruitment, think big, yeah, get, think your first, big. get your first property in a couple of years. Um, we just hired a girl into our Southampton office who's amazing. She's just sat and wrote this whole itinerary of where she's going to go on holiday to Bali and Lombok and Thailand and Malaysia and stuff like that. So that's the kind of real focus that, that I like people to have. Yeah. Um, it may be that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be financial. It could be that, you know, somebody wants to just um, just be number one or succeed mm. or something like that. But just having that goal and sticking to it. And for the managers, just finding out, you know, what your, your staff want. Matt, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it.